morning we're going to continue what started out as a one uh, week message and turned into a series. So we're in our third week now. And the title of the message this morning, well, I'll wait on that for a second, but we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that's going to be our text this morning. But two weeks ago, we looked at the title of uh, Wanted Troublemakers. We have it? Do we have the other one? Oh, don't show it yet. Don't show it yet. There we go. And of course, we got, we got, we, we got Brent up there as our, as our uh, uh, logo for Troublemakers. And, and so we talked about, you know, wanted troublemakers. We talked about the, the, Paul and those disciples who had turned the world upside down. You know, the world, the lost world would have said that they were a bunch of troublemakers and they were a bunch of nobodies. They were just everyday Joes, fishermen and tax collectors and zealots. And, and so it was just a bunch of a mishmash of people brought together and they were troublemakers that had, 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 were following the Lord and they were turning the world upside down. And, uh, here, here's, here's, uh, then, then you got the maniacal missionaries. Last week we talked about that, and we had a picture of Henry up there. I mean, he looks maniacal, so that, that fit. It's more fun when he's here, but he's laughing at home, I know. We looked at the story of the demon-possessed man and how God went in and healed him, cast out those demons, saved him. We saw immediately uh, there was just a change in his life. It was, it was evident from the, I mean, the instant that he was born again, there was a change in him. And then God didn't, didn't allow him. Christ didn't allow him. He wants him. He goes, Christ, let me go with you. I want to be with you and learn from you. And Jesus said, no, 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 I've got a better plan for you. I want you to go back home. And the first thing he did is he got saved. He went back home and he got things right at home. And he witnessed to all of those there in that 10 city area, Decapolis. And we looked at how the change that that had made and the people later on received Christ as he returned. And so that was the story last week. And so when we were talking and te teaching that, we talked about the casting, how, how the Lord cast out those demons, the, the, the legion, maybe 6,000 demons, and cast them into 2,000 swine. And so I got to thinking about that. And here's what's amazing. So I went on YouTube and you can find anything on YouTube these days, right? So if you guys want to know how to fix your Pinto, go to YouTube. It'll tell you. We were talking about diesel engines this morning. People going, I don't know how to fix a diesel. But you go to YouTube, and it'll teach you how to fix anything. And you can find anything there. So I went on YouTube, and I actually found actual footage of those swine going off the cliff. I want to show you all this, these swine going off the cliff, actual footage. All right, I'm, I, you know, please don't say a preacher's a liar. All right, so I'm just having fun. That's not actual footage in case I need to clarify that. It's not actual footage, but that is one of the funniest videos I've ever seen. Those pigs' legs, when they go off and they kick out. I mean, <laughs> Brent's belly laughing over here. So, I mean, it just, to me, is hilarious. The first time I saw that, I cried. So, look, we'll have a little levity this morning. All right, so here's our topic this morning. You've already seen it. It's this. It's wanted gospel goons. So who's our... Oh, man. Ooh, does that fit, folks? Does that fit? Everybody in here is amen -ing. I don't know. Kevin is not amen -ing. He's just kind of going, well, maybe it does fit. So we're going to talk about wanted this morning. We've had troublemakers. We've had maniacal missionaries. And this morning, we're going to talk about gospel goons. That's what, that's what the Lord wants. That's what we want. So we're going to begin with this. What is the gospel? But let's stop. I appreciate Aaron praying, but I want to just return again to, the, the, to prayer as we open this up. Father, thank you again. For our time together, I pray you'll bless now as we look into your word. I pray you give me clarity and thought. Allow me to clearly communicate, 
Lord, what you put on my heart. And um, I pray you'll use the message this morning to challenge us, to convict us, to encourage us. Lord, you know where we are. We, we can put on a front for others, but we're not, we're not deceiving you. And Lord, wherever we are in life, I pray, God, you'll, you'll reach down, touch us, and draw us closer to you. Bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're looking this morning, when you, when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to find here a, a, a really a great, uh, the, the first four verses, one through four, are going to give us a great definition. And that definition is the gospel. So the question is, what is the gospel? So we're talking about gospel goons. Then what is the gospel? Now some would say, well, the whole Bible. They would, if I've asked, and I've asked this question of a lot of people, you know, what is the gospel? And, and I would have people tell me, well, it's the, it's the, it's the Bible. Well, the Bible, in a sense, is, but it's not the definition of the gospel. It's not, I mean, when you talk about, it really captures that because we go from chapter 3 of Genesis, the fall of man, all the way through the end of the book where, where the Lord, the God wins, and it's, and it's all his story. And we talked about this, I don't know if it was last Sunday, or I think it was last Sunday, we talked about this, the story, the scriptures are not about me. Though they're for me, and through this we, we have redemption, we, we're born again, we have this truth of who we are and our need for a Savior and how, what God has done for us, all that is revealed to us, but this is his story. Jesus is the star. If anybody else is the star of the scriptures, you're on the wrong page. You're watching the wrong movie, you're looking at it the wrong way. Jesus is the star of this. God Almighty is the star of the scriptures. But the Bible is not necessarily the gospel. When we talk about the gospel, the scriptures contain the gospel, some would say that it's, you know, it's a, a healing testimony. You ask them for the gospel and people will give you a, a testimony of when God did something great in their life. Well, that's a wonderful testimony. It's a wonderful thing, but it's not the gospel. Some would say Jesus is the gospel. Well, he is the star again of that, but that's not, Jesus, just saying Jesus is not the gospel. So this morning we want to look at what is the gospel? What, is, what does it mean, the gospel? So the best definition of the gospel is given to us by the Apostle Paul here in Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we'll begin with verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, so Paul is talking to believers. He's talking to those who, who have put their faith in Christ. He said, I, this is Paul, declare to you the gospel which I preached to you. So he had preached the gospel to them previously. Now he's writing back to them at a later time and he's following up with this. He's reinforcing this concept, this understanding, this clear understanding of the gospel. He says, which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand. You stand in the gospel. You received it then. You stand in it. And he says in verse 2, he says, by which also you are saved. It is through the gospel that we have salvation. It is through this, this gospel. But he says here, if, and there's a conditional preposition right there. There's this, there's this connector there that says, if you are saved. He says, by this which you are saved, if. And he says, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, I, I just want to hit this right here. Understand, you can't lose your salvation. We don't believe that. We don't believe uh, that, that you can lose salvation. We believe in salvation. You are, when you are saved, it is, it is uh, you know, the, the phrase is this, once saved, always saved. I've had people tell me, oh, you Baptist, you believe in that once saved, always saved. I say, yeah, we do believe that because that's what the scriptures teach. So we believe that. But uh, listen, once saved, always saved. But here's the deal. You have to be once saved. You can't be saved for always if you're not saved once. You have to be born again. And if you are truly saved, and I really believe this, if you are truly saved, you won't walk away from the faith. You may struggle. There may be times of struggle in your life, but you will not abandon God. And I say this, if you abandon God, you don't lose salvation. 
I fully believe that if you abandon God, you've never truly had salvation. You've never truly been born again. We see a phrase that is being thrown out a lot, and this idea that's thrown out a lot today of, of deconstructing my faith. And we see it a lot in the Christian music circles. There's been a lot, and that's very, because people know this person, they know that person, they know the person. They're coming out and they're, well, I'm deconstructing my faith. The problem is they probably, more than likely, they never had a real salvation conversion. They were never truly born again. And so they've been trusting in a false profession, a false testimony all this time. They've never truly been born again. When you are truly born again, it changes you. It's deep and it's eternal. Okay? So that's what Paul's saying there. Then we get, we get here to, to verse 3 and he says, For I delivered to you... First of all, that which I also received. So Paul says, I received this. He had been saved. He had been born again. He was a changed man. And here he is sharing the gospel that he had been given and that had changed his life. So now he's sharing this. He says, so I delivered to you first that which I also received. He said, I didn't give you something that I made up. I'm giving you what I received from the Lord. And he continues there in verse 3. He says that Christ died. And here's where we begin to get into the definition of the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So let's look at this. For Christ died. That Christ died. Now look, when Christ died, there were hundreds of witnesses to his death. His family and friends, they were there. They knew he died. They saw him die on that cross. There was no question in their mind that he was dead. The Roman soldier pierced his side to make sure. And, you know, there are those who would say, well, Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He just, he went to sleep or he passed out and he woke up at a later time. No, folks, Christ died on that cross. He was executed by professional executioners. Uh, professional executioners don't mess up. And so they pierced his side at the point where Jesus had died. And to make sure they pierced his side, clean through his ribs, into his heart, and out poured blood and water. And that blood and water coming out, there was an indication of a broken heart. That water had come around his heart. He had, it was, you've heard, probably heard people say that Jesus, he died of a broken heart. And, and he did. And, and so the executioners, they ensured that he was dead. Christ died. I've heard people say, well, what a waste then if, if the Son of God, if Jesus was the Son of God, that, you know, that he died, that he allowed himself to die on a cross. Folks, he came to die. That was the purpose of Jesus being here. He came to this earth born of a virgin. He didn't have an earthly father. He had a godly father. He is God in flesh. And he came and was born of a virgin. He was sinless. And the purpose of Christ coming, I've heard people say, well, Jesus came to show us how to live. He did come to show us how to live. But that's not ultimately why Jesus came to live because I can follow his life. I can mimic everything of his life. I won't be able to fulfill it, but I can mimic it. And him showing me how to live my life is not going to save me. Jesus came to die. He came to pay for our sin. And by dying on that cross and shedding his, his blood, he took his sin, he took our sin upon him. And the, and the one, the one sinless one became our sin for us. He didn't just bear our sin, he became our sin. And he died on that cross. He died. Those who were watching that day, some said, if he is God, let him come down from there. But folks, I say again, since he was God, he had to stay on the cross because that was why he came. That was his mission. That was the will of the Father. And Christ did everything in his life to fulfill the will of the Father. So Christ died. There is no doubt to that fact that Jesus died on the cross. And he died for our sins, according to the scripture. 
So folks would say, well, you know, the gospel, the gospel means good news. And, and so the first thing you're telling me is Christ died. Well, where's the good news in that? Well, we're going to get to that and you're going to see that. See, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Every animal sacrificed in the Old Testament pointed toward Calvary. The entire Jewish religion was based on Calvary. It was looking at the Messiah who would come and, 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 and pay for the sins and would die for them. This redeeming Messiah, this dying Messiah, this rising again Messiah. The entire Jewish religion was based on Calvary and they were looking forward to Calvary. If you look at Psalm 22, look at Psalm 69, look at Isaiah 53. They, they point to, and there's a host of other scriptures that pointed to Calvary. They, they point to Christ dying on the cross for the sins of mankind. He died for our sins. Well, where, where does that come from? I'm a good person. I'm not a sinner. I've had people tell me that. You know, I'm a good person. I don't really think I'm a sinner. What the Bible tells us very differently. And if we begin, we go back to Genesis chapter 3, and we find in the Garden of, of Eden where Adam and Eve disobeyed God. God gave them one prohibition. Do not eat of the fruit of that tree. You can eat of anything else in this garden. And they had everything. Folks, you have to imagine, you got to understand, there were things in that garden to eat that do not exist today. Things that the flood wiped away. Things that the fall, the sin, the fall of, of our earth into sin. They don't exist anymore. They were not lacking on food. They weren't lacking on beautiful things to look at. They weren't lacking on anything. God said, don't eat of that fruit. And the serpent comes in and deceives Eve. And she took of the fruit and then she gave to Adam and Adam ate. And with Adam's sin, the sin of disobedience, sin came upon Adam, sin came upon Eve. The, the, the relationship with, with God was broken and sin came upon man. And the scriptures say this, Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread, death spread to all men because all sinned. All right, that, that doesn't send, there's no question right there that all death has come upon all men. And, um, you know, the, the old saying goes, ain't none of us getting out of this alive. We, we can exercise and eat right and do all these things, but we're not getting out of this alive. I'm praying the Lord will rapture us out of here before I have to die an earthly death. But if not, I'm going to one day die. And, 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 and that's just a fact. Death, sin brought death, and death spread to all men because all sin. Romans 5, 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. All men. Brent, I'm going to ask you, the, the deep theologian that you are, what does all in the Greek right here, what does that word all mean? All means all. It's a fascinating thing, isn't it? All means all. All doesn't mean some or most or a few or, or, or the, the, you know, all means all. Resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's, and this is Jesus, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men. And so the free gift being salvation came to all men. It is a gift. It is available because Christ has made it available, resulting in justification of life. Verse 19 says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Notice many will be made righteous. Not all will come to faith. Not all will go to heaven. There are people who believe that everybody gets to heaven. They just get there their own way. That's a lie of the pit of hell. 
And it's designed to have people think, I'm okay. I don't need to think about eternity. I don't need to think about the future. But the scriptures are very clear that we're all sinners. We all are under condemnation. It is already there. People say, well, Jesus, he came. He, he came. Why would he come and judge us and send us to hell? In John 3.16, you read 3.16 and 3.17, it makes it very clear that God didn't come to judge us and condemn us. We were already condemned. We're already hanging over hell by a very thin thread that could break at any moment. Christ came to give us life. He came to, to save us from our sin. Then Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our sin has separated us from God. Sin cannot be in God's presence. We're sinners, so we, we, we have no way to get to God. There's no way for us to do that. Our sin must be dealt with if we have any hope of getting to heaven, and we can't do that. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says that we were dead in trespasses and sins. That's where we were. He's talking to believers who had been saved, who had been born again. But he's talking about this is where we were. We were dead in trespasses and sins. And that's where every person who's ever been born outside of Christ, every person is born with this sin nature and they're separated from God and we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We're dead in that. And Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of our sin is death. Hebrews 9, 27 says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So it's a, if we think about it, it's a very scary thing. And it's what I've been trying to preach for the last few weeks, that it's so important that we as a church, we as believers, those of us who have this blessed hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, is to tell this, to share the gospel with everybody we can, because the wages of sin is death. It's appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. We'll face judgment. Romans 5, 8, we got some good news. But God demonstrated, he demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't wait. God didn't wait. His plan wasn't to wait till 2,000 years later and, and Patrick and Brent come to a place of going, you know what, I'm a sinner and I need to get to heaven. And Lord, can, can you make a way for me to, to be saved? And, and then God said, oh man, I hadn't thought about that. Well, let's see. I've got to come up with a plan. He didn't do that. God already had a plan. And he demonstrates his love for us in that even, even 2,000 years ago, before we even understood our need for a Savior, Christ died for us. That ought to make us say, glory, hallelujah. He's already paid the debt. He's made a way for us. Christ died for our sins. Man, that's the good news, that he died for our sins. But that, it doesn't end there. If it ends right there, that's a bad thing. We've not gotten to the good news part of this yet. If that's all there is, Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Verse 4 then says, And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And that he was buried. Isaiah foretold that he'd have a, 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 an honorable burial. Long before the, the Messiah ever came, Isaiah had been, for, had been told to him, revealed to him, and he told us that the Messiah will, will have an honorable burial. He said that uh, he was to be with the rich at his death. That's Isaiah 53, 9. Um, and, and so when Christ died and they take him down from the cross, two of the most influ influential men in the country were Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. And both of them were wealthy and they were powerful members of the Sanhedrin. And these two men joined together to bury Jesus. The spices that were provided by Nicodemus, it was a mixture of myrrh and aloes. 
So the Bible says it was about 100 pounds, and, and we, we can know this, that it was, man, basically it was a king's fortune. It was a king's ransom. It was a huge amount, 100 pounds of these spices that Nicodemus provided. And Joseph of Arimathea, he contributed his very own uh, extremely valuable tomb. In fact, it was a new tomb. It had never been used. No one had ever been laid in that tomb. It had been hewn out, and it was for Joseph of Arimathea, probably for his family, and no one had used it, and Joseph contributed that. So there was... There there was, he, was, he, was, he was buried with the rich in his death. He was buried that way with the rich in his death. So the scripture says in that he was buried. Jesus was buried. Uh, but here was an amazing thing. His body was miraculously preserved from corruption and decay. He was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So we find right here in this, this part of the text, we find a deed to be remembered. It says... He rose again. That's quite a deed to remember right there. He rose again. The scripture says he rose again. The resurrection of Christ is the best proved fact in history. There's more concrete evidence for the resurrection of Christ than there is for the conquest of Britain by Julius Caesar. There's a lot of things in history that we would say, that's fact. We have, we have this writing about it. We have much more evidence to the resurrection of Christ than we do almost anything in ancient history. Um, and here's what I would say. I have more confidence in the fact that Christ rose from the dead than I do about many of the, event, the events that we are reported, uh, that are reported to us today. I'm just telling you, I turn on TV and watch some news. I doubt a whole lot of what we get because there's such a spin and a skew. Um, things are so biased and you go, I'm sure we don't know the whole story there. I have more confidence in the fact that Christ rose from the dead than I do the events that are going on today. So let's look at Calvary. So as we look to Calvary, the Lord of glory was nailed to a cross on Calvary. He was taken down dead and was buried. The earth shook and rocks split. The sun went out. Graves burst open. And the message seemed all too clear. Jesus is defeated. As we look at Calvary, Jesus dies and we go, you know, those that are looking on, Jesus is defeated. You have to wonder, I mean, and, and think Satan and the demons are looking and smiling and glorying in the fact that Jesus is dead. He has been defeated. And folks, watch the tomb and keep your eyes on the tomb because the tomb was closed upon him. And it was sealed and it was guarded and, 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 and it was all over. Death had won. And I, and I have this picture of the earth spinning on its axis and it's moving through space. And, and it's like a movie as you, the tomb is sealed and, and it zooms out and you just see earth spinning and it's going through space. And the thought that Jesus, the son of God, the lifeless body of God in flesh is laying on that rock that's floating through space. But here's the glory of it. If I was doing a movie, you'd zoom back in and boom. The, the, the tomb would be open and out comes the Lord. In fact, the Lord came out before the tomb was opened. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. He rose from the dead, folks. And the message came through loud and clear that Jesus defeated death. What appeared that he had been defeated, that Jesus had been defeated, Jesus defeated death. And indeed, he has risen from the dead. And so we might well sing this morning. Y'all want to hear me sing? Y'all don't like me singing, do you? Aaron likes me singing because it makes him look really good. He loves to hear me sing. So I think of this song as we think about the resurrection. We could sing this this morning. 
Vainly they sealed the dead. Jesus, my Savior, vainly they watched his bed. Jesus, my Lord, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, y'all got to join me. He arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. I apologize to my first time guest that y'all had to, had to endure that. Everybody else is home going, I'm glad I wasn't there today. So... Now, listen, we make a joyful noise, amen? We make a joyful noise. Look, years later, when John, who's on the Isle of Patmos, the Apostle John, he's on the Isle of Patmos, and he, he's writing, and he sees the Lord. The Lord Jesus comes to him, and Jesus declared this. It's in Revelation 1.18. He says, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and I have the keys of Hades and death. Praise God, he rose from the dead. Now, you want to know what the good news of the gospel is? That's the good news, folks. He died, Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And he was buried, but he rose again. He rose again. Praise God that I could say amen. We could go home right there because that's the glory of the gospel right there. He rose again. But verse 4 continues and he says the third day according to the scriptures. And that was a deed to be remembered. There was a deed to be remembered, but there's also this a day to be remembered. He rose again the third day. Jesus had repeated again and again. He had told his disciples that on the third day, I'm going to go, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die, and on the third day, I'm going to rise again. He told them again and again and again. But you know what? They didn't hear it. They didn't, they didn't believe it. Or, or, you know, I think it's probably this. They just didn't listen because they couldn't even begin to grasp the truth that Jesus was going to die. They've got this idea. He's going to come in. He's going to conquer, and they're going to defeat the Romans. He have this conquering Messiah in their mind. They don't understand. They've yet to grasp the truth. And they didn't get it. But listen, his enemies remembered what he said. When you, when you, you know, once the crucifixion was over, crucifixion was over, the chief priests and Pharisees, they approached Pilate. And in Matthew 27, they said, sir, we remember while he was still alive, how he, the, the deceiver said, they're talking about Christ. That deceiver said that three days, after three days, I will rise. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Now, I think this is amazing. This is great because they, by doing that, they took away any excuse that would have been later. Had, the, had there been nobody there and the Lord rose in the tomb, they could have easily said then it would have been believable. They could have got away with that lie. Oh, well, Jesus, they stole his body away. But they put a, a whole force there. They put a whole uh, a group of, I don't remember, maybe it was 20 soldiers, might have been 30. It was something, there was enough soldiers there. Wasn't this little band of disciples going to come in and roll the stone away and steal the body without them knowing it? So the body was gone. Christ had risen from the dead and he was gone. And they made plans as soon as he was crucified to, to ensure that no one come and stole the body and then claim that he had risen from the dead. 
When the resurrection did indeed take place on the third day, the, the Sanhedrin paid the guard large sums of money to circulate a lie. So that didn't work. Jesus just got up and walked out of the grave. And then the angels came and rolled the stone away. And now it's empty and the guards are like, we're going to die. And they knew they were going to die because we were guarding this body and the body's gone. They would have been dead. They would have been. But here's what happened. We read that the Jewish elders took, uh, took counsel and says they gave large, uh, mon- they gave, gave large money unto the soldiers saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this came to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. The guards took the money and the Sanhedrin lie was believed by the Jews. And it's a silly lie to think for a second that they could have come in and stolen the body with that army that was camped there. And the fact that you think somebody, one of those soldiers is going to go and testify before some leader and say, oh, well, you know, we were asleep on the job. Either way, it made no sense. The lie made no sense, but people will believe what they want to believe, and they embrace the lie, and the Jews to this day, they still embrace that, that the body of Jesus was stolen. Um, this didn't happen. There's no way for that to happen. Uh, it, the lie just doesn't make sense. He rose again the third day. Now, we come to this that Paul, for, for years, Paul, or Saul as he was known in those days, was, was in the San, he was the Sanhedrin's chosen instrument to stamp, stamp out Christianity. That was his job. So here's what he was. He was a, a goon. So when I say goon, I don't know, how many of you, anybody in here, raise your hand if you think you really understand what that means to be a goon. You're a goon. We talk about goons, right? So what, does that, what, what do you think, Brent? What's a, what's a goon? Uh, no, a little, little different. Man, they probably were, but, yeah, I mean, the idea, but what's a goon? What's that? They were like goonies, maybe. So here, here's a goon. You ever thought about goons for like, um, they, well, here's the definition, and this will make sense to you, okay? So let me, let me I'm going to get to that in a second. I'll get to that in a second. So um, nobody in the history had ever had, nobody in all of our history had had the opportunity to like Paul did, to investigate and to see firsthand and find out what had happened. Nobody had the opportunity to, to get that truth the way Paul did. He did. He was, he was doing that. Every available theory, he understood it. He had mastered it. He heard it. He may have investigated them all, but he chose not to believe in it until he met the risen Christ personally on the road of Damascus. So he's on the road to Damascus, and, and, and the Lord reveals himself. So look how Paul, he substantiates the facts as he's writing here. And I'm going to come back to that goon. Y'all think about what you think a goon is, because Paul was a goon. Um, so Paul is building more his case. He's talking about the eyewitnesses that saw the resurrected Christ. Because people go, oh, yeah, 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 he rose from the dead. Yeah, okay, I, I, yeah, whatever, wink, wink. And, uh, but Paul's building his case, and he continues here in chapter 15, verse 5. He goes in, and he's talking about, look, Jesus was seen by his friends. He was seen by, by the man who denied him. He said he was seen by Cephas. Now, here, here's Peter, who was a coward, who had denied the Lord, just he denied him three times. Just, just days earlier, he denied the Lord. And then just a few days later, he's courageous. He's out preaching the risen Christ. What happened? He saw the risen Christ. And, and then he was seen of the men that he had discipled. And the Bible says he was seen by the 12, short of, of um, Judas Iscariot. He was seen by the, the 11 and then, and then the others, but he was seen by the 12. A week later, he came back and convinced Thomas. 
So the disciples saw him. Then he was seen by his flock. It says in verse 6, it says, After that he was seen uh, of about 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto that present, um, but some had fallen asleep. And what, what Paul was saying here is, look, he was seen by 500 people. All these other saw him, these 500 people, most of them are still alive. If you want to go ask them, go ask them. Then he was, he was uh, seen by James. So he was seen by his family. Then by his followers. And this says, then, then of all the apostles. And finally, Paul says, the risen Lord was seen by his foe. He was seen by his foe. And, his, and the verse in verse 8 says, and last, and least of all, and last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. The conversion of Saul of Tarsus was an event of great magnitude, and he had been the, he had been the most bitter energetic and determined foe of Christianity. He traveled far and wide seeking to stamp out what he considered to be a dangerous cult. So who was Paul? Well, let's look at what Paul says about Paul. I mean, who better to tell you who Paul was than Paul? Philippians chapter 3 and verse 5, he says that he was, he was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. See, he was a Jew. He's telling us here. He tells us very clearly he's a Hebrew. He's a Jew. And we might even say that he was an uppity Jew. Because that's a very, he was very much stating his case of he was, he was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was an uppity Jew concerning the law of Pharisee. So he's a, he's a religious uppity Jew. He says that he was zealous concerning, he was concerning zeal. He was persecuting the church. So he, he's also a zealous religious uppity Jew concerning the righteousness which is of the law. I'm blameless. He says, I'm a self-righteous. He was a self-righteous, zealous, religious uppity Jew. So we get a good idea of who, of who Paul, Paul is. And what was Paul doing? Well, the scriptures make it clear that at this time he was persecuting the church. And this is where we'll come back to this, that he was a goon. So you've been thinking about it for a minute? So I just finished a book on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and in there it was talking about the goons, Hitler's goons. So the, the definition of a goon is this, someone hired to terrorize or eliminate opponents. Or it can also be an enforcer. Okay, so when you talk about that, that's what we see Paul doing. He is a goon. He is, he is a goon out there for the Sanhedrin. He is a, a, a goon. He is doing everything he can to terrorize and eliminate this new cult of Christianity. And he was, he was the most zealous after it. We read in verse, uh, or Acts chapter 7, and we see here the stoning. When, you, when you, you know the story of Stephen and Stephen being martyred, the first martyr, where he was stoned to death. And, and the scripture says in verse 58, it says, And they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And this is Paul. Paul was there. He was standing. Why did they throw the, the, the clothes at, at Saul's feet? Because Saul was the one there overseeing it. Saul was the one there giving authority to it. He was approving it. He was maybe agging it on, telling him to do it. And they stoned Stephen. And, he, and as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You got to remember, Paul is an eyewitness to this. Now he was, he was the culprit. He was the goon enforcing this. But he, he has seen and heard all about Jesus rising from the dead. Now he's seeing a disciple who's willing to die. And you see how God, as you look at it later, you see how God has revealed to Paul all through the different events. He has revealed himself to Paul. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his death. And at that time, 
At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which, which was in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentations over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Verse, uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that, so that if he found any who were of the way, this Christian sect, it was called the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So, I mean, I, 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 men or women, they didn't care. That's what the goons, the Nazi Jews, uh, Nazi goons didn't care. Those, the SS went in, they murdered everybody. They were goons. They killed women, children, old men. They killed civilians. They murdered the soldiers who had been captured, taken as prisoners of war. They were just goons. And that's what we see here with Paul. He was, he was, man, he was a hard man. He was on a mission to destroy the church when he met the risen Lord. And the story of conversion is, is of such significance that it's told three times in the books of, book of Acts. In chapter 9, verses 1 through 22, then again in chapter 22, verses 1 through 21, and then again in chapter 26, verses 1 through 23. But we see here in Acts 9, we see the account of, of, of Paul's conversion. It says, in verse 3, it says, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembled and trembling and astonished said, Lord. Now I think there's two different things here. When you see in verse 5 and he says, Who are you, Lord? He didn't know. That word was a word of respect there. But when he says Lord, when he says Lord in verse 6, that's, a, that's, a, that's acknowledgement of who Christ was. And you see there, his, I mean, I think right there you see Paul's faith. He has heard all of this, and now he has met Christ face to face. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men, and so they carried him into Damascus, and we know this. And three days, you know, he was three days without sight, and he didn't eat, he didn't drink. And uh, Paul was converted. Paul was a changed man from that instant. And so how did Paul come to faith in Christ? Look, he had heard the truth. He had witnessed the truth. He, had, he, he knew all about Jesus. He had heard of Jesus before his crucifixion. He knew about the death of Jesus. He, he heard of the resurrection. He would have investigated this going on, but he didn't believe it. He didn't believe the accounts that he heard. He chose not to believe. The evidence was great. If the evidence is great today, the evidence was great then. And he chose not to. And he sees Stephen being in stone. He's going to persecute the church and Christ reveals himself and he strikes him down and blinds him. So he had heard the truth and Jesus blinded him and Jesus spoke to him and Jesus called him and Jesus saved him. Folks, he's calling you today. Some that are maybe watching out there, there may be somebody that's watching this uh, today, you may be watching it later on. It's, it's coming in a week from now or it's a month from now and somebody sent it and you've got it. You're watching, you're listening to this. I can tell you this, he's calling you too and he wants to save your soul today. And if you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, today is the day of salvation. He may not give you a Damascus Road experience. He may not blind you, but I promise you he's calling you. 
If you're under the sound of my voice today, you're hearing the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit of God works through the Word of God to convict you and to draw you, to convict you of sin and to draw you to Him. Don't think you can just come to Jesus anytime you want to. If He's calling you today, He wants to save you today. Jesus told us, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. He also said in John chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He didn't say I was a way to, that he was a way to resurrection. He said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am resurrection. I am life. He who believes in me, Christ says, he who believes in me, who places faith in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And he says, do you believe this? That's a question that's asked for us all today. Do we believe this? Romans 10, chapter chapter 10, verse 9 says that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. And it takes faith to believe that. I've had people tell me recently that how can you believe that a man rose from the dead? Only by faith. And it's by faith that we're saved. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I actually prefer the King James right there. It says, you shall be saved. It's not a questionable thing. If we we understand, if we confess, we agree uh, of who God is and who we are as sinners hopelessly in need of a Savior, and that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He died on the cross for our sins. He lived a sinless life, and He died on the cross for our sins, and He rose again the third day, that that if we confess that with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, the Bible says you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Ephesians 2.8 tells us, For by grace, it is God's grace that saves us, folks. For we are saved by grace. You have been, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's God's grace that saves us, but it is through faith. We have to place our faith and our trust in Christ and Him alone for salvation. And it goes on and says that, that it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Salvation is a gift that God gives us. We don't work for it. Verse 9 says, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So people think I'm a good person. God will accept me because I'm a good person. God doesn't accept anyone because they're good because the Bible says none are good, no, not one. We're all sinners, and I think we've stated that case very clearly from the Word of God this morning. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, because it's of works. Anyone could boast. Anyone could do it, and and it's not of works. It's a gift that God offers us, and it was a costly gift. It was a costly gift that Jesus came left the glories of heaven to be born as a, as a man, to be born, to take on and become part of his own creation. Simply to die for us. Paul believed, and Paul was born again. And Paul surrendered his life to share the gospel with everyone who came in, in contact with. Everywhere he went, every, everywhere he would go, we see again and again and again, he seeks out folks to share the gospel with. And we see people saved. He traveled the world and risked his life, and he suffered greatly, and he was persecuted greatly. When, I, I could read that, but for the sake of time, I didn't put it in here. But 
he, he suffered greatly for the gospel. But it impacted Paul so that he said, I don't care. Everything else, nothing else matters but Christ. And I'm going to make him known. And he went from being a goon fighting against Christianity to being a goon witnessing for Christ in God's kingdom. He became a gospel goon. He became an enforcer and really flips around. Goon's not the right word for that, but it works with my title, okay? So uh, he was changed. He went to, to just being about doing what God would have him to do and being an enforcer of the gospel and getting it to everybody he can. You know, you'll be thinking, you may be thinking this morning, yeah, yeah, but preacher, you know, that was Paul. And, and Paul, was, though he was zealous in the wrong way, he was still a religious man. You, you don't know what I've done. And, and God could never save me. And you may be sitting here going, ah, nobody would say that. Oh, yes, people say that. People say that often, that their sin is so great, God can't save them. Let me tell you, that's just a point of pride on our part. As we think our sin is so great, God can't save it. The blood of Jesus Christ covered all sin. The blood of Jesus Christ is so powerful, it can cover your sin. And I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've thought. I don't care any of that. The blood of Jesus covers that sin. It is powerful enough, and he can save you. If God could save Paul, he can save you. But maybe, maybe you haven't been the antagonistic person toward God like Paul was at that time against Christianity. Maybe you've been the religious person. Maybe you're the person that's been in church and you serve and you check the box because I'm going to get to heaven because I'm a member at First Baptist Geneva and I've been baptized and I serve in so-and-so ministry and I do this and I tithe and I, and I give to that and I'm a good person and I don't drink and I don't smoke and I don't cuss and I don't date the girls that do and I, don't, you know, I do all the right things. But maybe you're the religious person. Paul was a religious person and Paul was lost and going to hell until he met Christ. God wants to save you this morning. And God wants goons, gospel goons, to go out and share the gospel. He wants, he wants us to go out and, and to be as sold out as Paul was to share the gospel with this lost world around us. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Folks, the gospel is very simple. There's nothing easy about it. It cost Christ his life. But it's simple. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we place our faith in what Jesus did for us. We place our faith in him and him alone. He promises to save us. And this morning, we just have a few here. I would... I would uh, I would, we're going to have a word of prayer here in just a moment. And I'm going, to, I'm going to ask, this is weird. How do you do this when they're not here? Well, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to cut it off because you at home may have a decision to make. So we're going to pray in just a moment. And uh, we actually have some folks that, that are in here this morning, just a couple. But this invitation time now, it's a time of response to what you've heard. It's a time of reflecting on what you've heard this morning. And I do ask you an invitation. An invitation is this. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, but the Holy Spirit of God is telling you this morning that you need to be born again, 
I would invite you to step out. And of all mornings, there's not a crowd to be concerned about. But I'd invite you to come and let me share with you the scriptures again and introduce you to the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. You can leave here knowing. Paul wrote and said, These things I've written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you hope, but that you know that you have eternal life. So if you're at home and you've got a decision to make, um, you, can, you, can re- you can reach out to us, you can text us, you can call the church, you can email us. We'll, we'll follow up with you. We'll, we'll make a call, we'll make a visit, whatever we need to do. But if there's something we can help you with spiritually, uh, we'd love to. But we invite you to spend time right now as we, as we uh, just reflect on this, to pray and ask God to, to just reveal to you what he would have you do this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our time together around your word. Thank you for the truth that we've heard from your word. And I pray now the Holy Spirit of God will take what we've heard, take the truth, apply it to our hearts, challenge us, convict us, encourage us, Lord, whatever work needs to be done, I pray that we would just humble ourselves before you and, Lord, respond uh, however it is you lead us and however you call us and draw us. And we'll praise you and thank you in Christ's name.